You're now listening to the Tax Smart REI Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hey, Tax Bar Investors, Brandon here. We're back for another awesome episode. I've got Ryan Carrier filling in for Tom Costelli today. Ryan is a CPA at my firm. He's very active on LinkedIn. I highly recommend that you go check him out because his content is fire. So you can just search him on LinkedIn, Ryan Carrier CPA, you'll go right to him. He and I are going to be tackling today's episode with today's guest, who's Jason Hartman. Jason's been on the podcast before, but he's been involved in several thousand transactions across the United States, 11 states, 17 cities, pretty expansive portfolio. His companies help people achieve the American dream of financial freedom by purchasing income property in prudent markets nationwide. Jason also runs a podcast. He's got a lot of education events a lot of mentoring. He's involved in communities. So if you're interested in the conversation that we have today, stick around until the end and he'll tell you where you can go to contact him and get involved in what he's got going on. And additionally, for anybody that's interested in purchasing our tax strategy course that we run, you can use code Hartman, that's H-A-R-T-M-A-N, and you'll get 50% off the course. And you can find that course at courses.com therealestatecpa.com slash tax-foundation-real-estate. That's courses.therealestatecpa.com slash tax-foundation-real-estate. And again, if you use code Hartman, you'll get 50% off that course. So here we go. Let's jump right into the episode. Having a good rental management software is essential for landlords who want to stay on top of their finances, save time, and reduce stress during tax time. Without one, you're reliant on outdated and error-prone processes like spreadsheets, paper receipts, and manual reconciliation. Who wants to do that? This can lead to compliance issues, overpaid taxes, expensive vacancy periods, or worse. Esther your income and expense tracking with Landlord Studio today. Import transactions to quickly reconcile expenses, automate rent collection and income tracking, digitize receipts on the go, and instantly generate financial reports, including Schedule E, to make tax filing a breeze. Landlord Studio is much more than just a rental accounting solution, though. Take advantage of their range of property management tools, from finding and screening tenants, to managing leases, and even tracking and managing property maintenance tasks. You can learn more about Landlord Studio and start your 14-day free trial at landlordstudio.com. Use the coupon code REALESTATECPA at checkout for 25% off your plan. Again, that's landlordstudio.com slash CPA and use coupon code REALESTATECPA to get 25% off your plan and a 14-day free trial today. Hey, Jason, how's it going? Good. How are you? We're doing well. Doing well. Thanks for joining us today. So you are a prolific real estate investor. You've been in the market for a while. What are your thoughts on where the market is today? Well, you know, that is the trillion-dollar question, Brandon. <laughs> Everybody wants to know where we are. The most common thing we hear from people, and, you know, really, we've been hearing this for years. This is not a new thing. You know, people are always thinking the bubble is around the corner, that the market's about to shift, and they want to time the market, right? This is a natural human instinct that people want to do that. You know, I, I think unless someone is looking to buy high-end properties, in cyclical markets, and I can explain 
the three types of markets, cyclical, linear, and hybrid markets. I think they're going to be sadly disappointed if they're expecting some big real estate crash. Tell us a little bit more about that. Why, why do you say that? Because I developed an index a few years ago called the Hartman Comparison Index. And what it does is it helps value real estate based not only on the one thing that people are usually comparing real estate values to, but on a whole basket of things. And um, it is not flashing a red light. It is not showing that we are in any kind of a downturn. We have low inventory. We have a huge shortage of entry-level housing uh, that has developed over the last 14 years. We have excellent demographics coming at the housing market, whether it be the purchase market or the rental market. Now, keep in mind when I say all of this, I'm talking about entry-level housing that makes sense for investors. I am not talking about $3 million homes. I am not talking about $700,000 homes even. Those act differently. Okay, what I'm talking about is the market we target, which is investors. And uh, those entry-level houses are very scarce still. Interesting. So you, you, and, and you would say there's no, now you said crash. What about a pullback? Um, you know, I think we're already seeing a little bit of a pullback, but it's more a pullback in sales activity than prices. We haven't seen any type of uh, price reductions yet in the markets we deal in, but we have seen, uh, you know, about 50-50 with buyers uh, sitting on the sideline, thinking they're going to time the market, thinking there's going to be a correction. But the problem is, uh, and one of the things I talk about on my show all the time, and of course you were on my show and we may have even touched on this, is what I call life's most important question. And that question is, compared to what? You know, there's a concept in investing that uh, is talked about a lot. It's an acronym, TINA, T-I-N-A. And it means there is no alternative. And the think of the alternatives people have. Well, you can put your money in stocks, and the stock market is pretty risky right now. I think most people agree. You could put it in cryptocurrencies, and that's super risky. You know, you could leave it in the bank, and that's not risky because you know for sure 100% that inflation will destroy the value of your savings. <laughs> that's, that's a guarantee. And uh, officially, that guarantee guarantees you'll lose 9% a year. Unofficially, I say you're losing about 15 to 17% per year. So when you look at that compared to what, or that Tina, there is no alternative, I think income property is still the best thing going out there. I think one of the things that I personally have struggled to reconcile is the price points that these types of homes are at compared to the current interest rate environment. I mean, it's like the cost has the, the monthly mortgage cost has increased so much that the rental rates, even though rent rates have been increasing pretty rapidly, too. At least, you know, I, I look around in Raleigh on a daily basis, Raleigh, North Carolina, and yeah. I'm just not seeing deals that cash flow really. And so uh, for me, it's like, you know, do you wait a little bit for a pullback in prices? Because we've seen properties sit a long time or, or I guess longer relative to what they used to be where they used to go every hour. Yeah. Now they're sitting for, you know, 30 days and that's a significant change relatively. Sure. So that that's what I've been struggling to reconcile. And I hear a lot of that too with the different investors that we talk to, our clients that deals are just starting to not make sense because that debt service cost is just so high. Yeah, well, um, I agree 
if your comparison, if your frame of comparison is the last two years, you're absolutely right. But if you take a longer view of history and, and just kind of back up and look at the whole picture, real estate is still actually pretty affordable, believe it or not. Okay. It's, we were in an anomaly during the COVID era. We saw the lowest interest rates in quite literally, and they have records going back this far, 5,000 years. I kid you not. There's a great book by the late David Graeber. It's called Debt, The First 5,000 Years. I highly recommend it. It's an excellent book. And um, we had such low interest rates that it just put the whole economy on fire to offset the COVID problems. But our frame of mind adjusting to that, is, it's just an inaccurate frame of mind. We've got to back up further. So let me just show you a couple of things and I'll, I will um, give you some, some data to back that up. Okay. So, you know, this is just about Wall Street Journal article about the bidding wars coming for renters. And this one is looking at um, the number of first lien mortgages below 3%. These people aren't selling. Okay, these are people that will cause the inventory shortage to continue for many years to come. And uh, nearly 40% of all homes in the U.S. are free and clear with no mortgage. We've got to have a distressed homeowner if we're going to have any kind of big market correction. But here's what I really wanted to show you to address your, your uh, question very specifically. If you look back and you look at the mortgage debt payment burden, as a percentage of disposable income, and this is from the St. Louis Federal Reserve website, and you look back over the past couple of years, you see here that the debt burden is higher, certainly, than it was during the very, very low point where we had super low interest rates and low housing prices during the COVID era. But let's back up a little bit and go back to about 2014 and compare this. Look at this. This should amaze everybody. We see here that if you go back to 2014, we see this mortgage debt burden as a percentage of disposable income, very, very low, very affordable, except for this one anomaly time during the, the COVID era. Now, if we go back to 1980, it's even lower because look at where we are now with very low, very affordable mortgage payments in comparison to, uh, you know, from the last 42 years. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just really amazing when we, when we look at these comparisons and we don't just look at the last two years, which I know were an anomaly. They were incredible, but that's not where we're going to be. And I, I don't think that's an accurate comparison for, for yeah. the long term. So, so I appreciate you sharing this chart. This is a Fred chart. It's the mortgage debt service payments as a percent of disposable personal income. And on the chart, 2008, 2009-ish, you reach about a 7.2-ish percent. Today, we're at around 3.8%. So it's decreased significantly. For everybody that can't see the slide, yeah. my question though is like, you know, a personal income, I feel like that's one story. The other story though is like from the actual investor level, I mean, I like deals were abundant in 2016, 17, and 18. Like, I could find deals that would hit that 1.52% oh, sure. you know, rent to purchase price, whereas yeah. now I can't. Right. Uh, well, I, I can't do that. And, and also, the other issue is that my debt service cost is so high now that it's like, man, I, I can't like buy anything that makes sense. That's what I feel like. I feel like, I feel like nothing yeah. makes sense. 
Hey, you're not the only one. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are right there with you, okay? But but here's the thing we've got to realize. Remember, I've been doing this a long, long time, and I've seen this cycle repeat itself over and over and over again. Rents always lag prices. Price appreciation happens much faster than rent appreciation. And now you combine that with the absolute disastrous Federal Reserve policy we've had. I mean, look, I'm super critical of Powell lately and the Fed because they let the economy run way too hot for way too long. They should have raised rates much sooner and they should have raised them more slowly. So it wasn't this, you know, kick in the face. They it, Now it's like throwing cold water on someone, right? It, it's like, wow, you know, this is a little sudden. But um, these rents will catch up. Remember, when you look at housing inventory, and you look at housing demand and population of all the people that were born about 30 years ago that are right in their prime household formation years, I mean, we've got like a phenomenal recipe. And then add to that this massive shortage created over the last 14 years of literally almost no home builders building entry-level housing. It's a huge problem. So whatever anybody thinks rents are now, they haven't seen anything yet. Mm. We're going to see rents go up a lot more. Also, to your point about interest rates, I know the rates are just, uh, it's been a very sudden increase. It's pretty shocking to say the least. However, the one great thing about real estate is that when you buy normal things in life or invest in normal things, right? When you negotiate the deal and the buyer and seller have a meeting of the minds, the deal is done. You know, if you paid $100 for this share of stock, that's the deal, period. If you paid, you know, $50,000 for that car, that's the deal. It's over, right? The deal's done. But with real estate, because it's a multidimensional asset class, you can constantly renegotiate the deal over time. And of course, you know this, right? Because, you know, what I think will happen is I think the Fed will put us into a recession. Maybe you think we're already in one. That's uh, certainly debatable. And we will see a recession come hell or high water. They're going to tame inflation. They're going to cause a recession. And then they're going to be more accommodative and they're going to lower rates. They may even do some QE on the other end of that. And they're going to bring it back. So you suffer high rates for a year, a year and a half, and then you refinance. And suddenly you've got low rates and your new deal looks dramatically better than the deal you bought today, right? And in the meantime, rents are going up. So uh, I'm pretty bullish on entry-level housing. I want to make sure people understand that distinction. I am not talking about cyclical markets. I am not talking about mid and higher level price houses. I am talking about rental housing. Very bullish oh. on it. How long do you think that recession period could last, just in your opinion? Well, it depends on... See, this is the reason predictions are so difficult. We right. have a centrally planned economy. If we lived in a free market economy, it would be sort of easy to make predictions about the way actors in the economy will act based on certain stimuli, right? That you could just use logic and say, okay, if we go in a recession, you know, there's the business cycle, it's going to take a certain amount of time to work our way out of that. And then, you know, the cycle repeats and there's a bubble and a boom and a bust and all that stuff. But we don't have that. <laughs> okay. We have the Federal Reserve and a giant government impact on the economy as well. So through fiscal and monetary policy, we don't know what they're going to do. But the likelihood is 
if we go into a recession, especially if it's a presidential election era, which the timing would sort of say that it would be, they're going to be more accommodative and they're going to start lowering rates at that time. They've just got to tame inflation. They waited too long. They let the genie out of the, the bottle and it's hard to put it back in. So it's going to be a little painful to put it back in the bottle. Uh, this is going to make me sound very, very green, but uh, I was surprised. I know you're not green. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, this is the first time that I've got a decent sized portfolio and I'm going through this type of a change. Now, you know, I've always bought cash flowing properties. So for me, it doesn't really matter what happens to the market value of my properties, but it has been interesting to watch. And it's been more interesting to me to realize the government essentially has control or, or the Federal Reserve, I should say, essentially has control over my wealth <laughs> to some degree. You know, it's been kind of kind of like a I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I got I got into I, I found bigger pockets back in 2013. I started getting really involved in that whole space in 2015, launched my firm in 2015. It's been real estate go, go, go since then. And those have been some pretty I mean, the last like, you know, 10 years have been some glory years for real estate. And so now all right. of a sudden to, to, you know, essentially run 100 miles into a concrete wall. It's like, whoa, man. Um. <laughs> well, first of all, you're not running into a concrete wall. I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, look, barring Putin using a nuclear weapon or some sort of black swan type thing, another COVID, whatever, right? You know, I, I just don't think you have that much to worry about if you've got prudent entry-level housing, which I'm sure you do. So that's the first thing. But uh, the other thing is, you know, keep in mind that this accommodative uh, policy that we had uh, is what put you where you are right? That benefited you, right? So, you know, they giveth and they taketh away. <laughs> it's just a cycle. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, but, but you know, uh, what I'd like to do, if you're interested, is share with your audience some inflation-adjusted mortgage payment information that I think would be pretty valuable to you. Do you want to take a look at that? Yeah, I would love to, because that's a topic that we mention, I think, in passing every once in a while on the podcast, like how great of a hedge a fixed mortgage payment is. I presume that's probably what you're going to pull up. Well, not exactly. Okay. I mean, okay. <laughs> you you know that I talk about a strategy I developed uh, about 18 years ago that I actually trademarked. It's called inflation-induced debt destruction, which is basically the idea of borrowing money at today's value and then letting the money depreciate through inflation and paying it back in the depreciated dollars. It's a killer strategy. Yeah. We don't really have time to go into that today, but I just wanted to uh, address the issue that we've been talking about, about are we in a bubble? Are housing prices too high or not? Right. And I think this will be valuable to you. So I'll just share That's my screen it. here and, you know, we can elaborate on audio for your people listening only and not looking at the visuals. So if we go back 52 years to 1970, the mortgage payment on the median price house back then was only $127. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. And Earning today, today's money, but paying 1970 mortgage rates that yeah. or mortgage payments, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it's, an, it's incredible, right? But today, the same house, the median price house, will cost you over $1,800 a month. But if you adjust that for inflation because the value of that dollar has gone down, then it's really only $257 a month in constant dollars or real dollars hmm. adjusted for the official inflation rate. But as we all know, 
the official inflation rate is a huge lie. That's not true. But let's just take this for a moment, okay? $127, uh, in 1970-1980, $241. That was a very expensive time to buy a house in 1980. Then it went down over the years, and now it's higher again. It's $257, so it's not cheap. But I interviewed the founder of shadowstats.com, John Williams, on my show, and he has a really interesting site because what he does on his website is he analyzes the reality behind the government data. And one of the things he does is he just uses the way the government used to calculate inflation before around 1980 when they started really manipulating the consumer price index. And he doesn't have his own method. He just uses the government's method that they used to use to find out the real rate of inflation. And so we're going to add a column to this. And here, the shadow stats numbers show you that the payment today officially with the consumer price index is $257 per month. But according to the way they used to calculate it before 1980, it's only $76 a month. Mm. Now, you might be thinking, Jason, are you kidding me? Houses seem so expensive. Mortgage payments seem so high. But here's what you don't know unless you really peel it back a little bit. In 1970, the average house was only 1,500 square feet. Today, the average house is almost 2,300 square feet. And the house today is certainly better than the house 52 years ago. We all know that because a lot of us grew up in those old houses, okay? And I'd much rather have a new house than an old house like that, right? So there are a lot of things to consider, but the reality is, is that we've hedonically adjusted our expectations. And we just expect so much more nowadays. But if you really compare apples to apples, the same house, adjusting for real inflation, housing is actually cheaper. Now, it's not cheaper than it's ever been, because guess what? A year ago, it was cheaper, and two years ago, it was cheaper than that. Okay? And back in 2010, it was cheaper. So it's not the cheapest it's ever been. But it is pretty cheap historically. Could you explain that, like how to interpret this one more time? I feel like sometimes I'm just kind of slow on picking up on reading these charts. Could you just explain that one more time, like how to how to interpret this? Sure. So are, are, uh, another question, thing, are you effectively just taking the, the 1870 today payment and yeah. indexing it back to 70 yes. to 1970? Well, well I'm indexing it back to every decade. Right on the decade. Well, right, right. Lately. Right. I'm, lately, because things have changed so much during COVID, I actually did parse out 2021 and 2022. But every other, every other thing is for a complete decade, yes. What about income, though? Uh, oh, great question. I have a chart on that, too. So here's the house size issue. Let me get to my income chart. Uh, you know, we can compare it to oil. We can compare it to gold. And we really find that housing is really just not that expensive. Uh, so first of all, this is the mortgage payment in ounces of gold and barrels of oil. Okay? Now, I'm not a gold bug, but gold has been considered money for thousands of years. And still, to many people around the world, it is money. Okay? In 1970, 3.6 ounces of gold to make your monthly mortgage payment. Today, 0.8 ounces of gold. In 1970, 36 barrels of oil to pay your monthly mortgage payment today, 17 barrels. And you can see through the decades how that's changed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now let me go to get to income for you. Shares of the S&P. Let's look at that one. How, how many shares of the S&P 500 index 
does it take to pay my monthly mortgage? Well, in 1970, it took 1.4 shares. In 1980, it took 4.7. 1980 was a very expensive time to buy a house. And we had a big recession then, as you'll all remember. Two shares in 1990, 0.6 in 2000, only 0.3 today. Okay. So, so to interpret this, that means that back in 1970, the mortgage payment was 1.4 shares of SPY. Yep. And today it's 0.3 shares of SPY. And the way to think about this is that compared to the value of the equities market, real estate prices have gone down. Yes. Or not accelerated nearly as fast. And it depends what your time frame is. But yes, essentially, you're right. Let's back up to the overall premise here. Okay, look, at the dollar is a moving target. Why is it that we as investors compare housing to only one thing, a moving target called the US dollar? We should compare it to many things. And when we get paid every two weeks or every month, or we own a business, we take a distribution once a year, whatever, whenever we make money, right? We have a choice as earners. Are we going to put our money in the bank and keep it denominated in dollars? Are we going to stick it in the stock market and say, for example, denominated in an S&P 500 index fund? Or are we going to invest in oil and denominated in oil or buy gold and denominated in gold, right? And so as we do that, we are subject to different types of increase in wealth or decrease in wealth right? So if we have this savings, this stash of dollars, shares of the S&P, gold, oil, whatever it is, right? We can just cash it out a little bit every month and pay our mortgage, right? And that's what we do with our bank account. You know, we write a check, we pay the mortgage payment, we're cashing a little bit of it out, right? So that's the choice we always make. And my premise is that if you're just looking at the dollar, you're going to have a lot of blind spots, because yeah. the dollar is a moving target. So now let's look at it directly in number of hours worked at a job. How much energy at a job do we have to trade to make a mortgage payment over the years, right? Okay, average uh, or mortgage payment in hours worked at the average wage. In 1970, you only had to work 41 hours to pay your mortgage. In 1980, 45 hours. And then we move on to 2010. You only had to work 34 hours Housing was super cheap back then, coming out of the Great Recession, right? And today, you have to work 55 hours to pay your mortgage. So when you look at it this way, at the average wage, okay, it's actually pretty expensive, right? So it all depends. And that's why we have to look at a lot of different numbers. So the way that I, tell me if I'm wrong, the way that I'm interpreting this, so for all of our listeners, we got a left hand, we got all the years on the left hand side, the middle column is our mortgage payment compared to S&P 500 shares. And then the right hand column is the mortgage payment and hours worked at the average wage. So in 1970, the mortgage payment compared to S&P 500 shares was 1.4, 2022 Q1, it's 0.3, uh, which which tells me that compared to the S&P, real estate prices have not kept up. Like, like the S&P 500 has greatly exceeded real estate prices because there's less 
Nope. This is not real estate prices. This is mortgage payments. Mortgage payments. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, right. And remember, so mortgage payment is a function, of course, of price, interest rate, right? Right, 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 right. Right. Okay, so mortgage payments. And then on the right-hand side, we've got... So so it's kind of interesting. So, So the debt service cost is not increasing as fast as wealth is being generated then that's the way to uh, to think about this that would be a fair statement if you're considering that yeah you know a lot of wealth is in the s&p 500 yeah so i, I agree with you yeah, okay that's, okay I, uh no so maybe one, not totally no accurate but that way before somewhere but yeah. somewhere okay and then on the right hand side it's 41 hours 1970 55 hours 2022 so our incomes have not increased as fast as the debt service has increased. Right. So what this tells us is that the average worker is falling behind. Got it. Which is sad and terrible because the wealth is being concentrated into a smaller, fewer number of people. And that, by the way, just philosophically, is a recipe for disaster because, you know, eventually those people get really angry and they rise up and you have, you know, there's no bread, let them eat cake. Okay. The French revolution. Right. Uh, so that is not good for society, but sadly it is the way it is. Okay. okay. So here's the same thing denominated in ounces of gold and barrels of oil. Same idea here. Again, we see that housing is certainly not the cheapest it's ever been, but it's not as nearly as expensive as people think it is. Why does it feel so expensive? Why do I go on Twitter and I see everybody saying how expensive real estate is? It's like well, all over the news how expensive it is. Well, yeah, so but 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 they're they're not peeling back the layers of the onion. First of all, they're looking at the price of the real estate, not the payment on the real estate. That's one one big issue, okay? Uh, but then also, they're not looking at the differences in the real estate. So they're not looking at the fact that the house is bigger, better. You know, I mean, these houses today are dramatically better than old houses. It's a different product. It's comparing apples to oranges. You know, the house today is 800 square feet larger than the house was in 1970. So the comparison is just, it's just faulty. But let me say something else, though. Here's another reason, though. People feel that things are unaffordable nowadays. There is a lot of inflation and a lot of costs have gone way up. I'll just take, for example, my health insurance. Health insurance before Obamacare used to be pretty affordable. I mean, I used to pay like $400 a month, $300 a month, and I had like a very low deductible of maybe $1,000 a year, everything copay. When I go to the doctor, I pay like $10. You know, it was great. Now, my deductible is like $8,600 a year. And uh, when I go to the doctor, there's no copay, okay, <laughs> uh, at all. And, you know, I'm paying like seven, I don't know, six, $630 a month for crappy policy, right? Also, when you look around, all of these things have been unbundled in life. And so our cost burden in general life is higher than it used to be. And think about this. We used to have people serving us all the time. If we wanted to go on a trip, we'd call a travel agent. And they would do the job for us. Now, each of us is, we're in this do-it-yourself world. We do everything ourselves. You know, in the old days, we didn't pump our own gas. You know, at the service station, they'd fill up your tires. They'd put your wiper fluid in. They'd check your oil when you went to get gas. Now, if you want air in your tires, you got to put quarters into a machine. 
to get air for your tires. I mean, it's, it's like everything's unbundled. Um, restaurants nowadays go into a, any hip restaurant and you're usually going to go up to the counter and place your order. And then they're going to give you a number and maybe bring you your food, or you're going to have to go up to the counter and get your food. And then they still expect you to leave a tip. And instead of the tip being 10 to 15% and not tipping on tax or alcohol, now the tip starts at 22% and it's on the gross and you didn't even get any service. <laughs> and you're paying and you're paying for their health insurance and all those other things. Yeah. That and listen, I, I, I feel bad for the workers because I know they're not making out like bandits. And I know the owner of the restaurant's not making out like a bandit. It's this increased regulation. And insurance costs have skyrocketed, tuition costs have skyrocketed. So there is a lot more burden from other areas of life, okay? But when you look at the housing alone, it's just not exactly what people think it is. From what you've been saying, would you think it could be, you know, a good investment? As Brandon is saying, like, it's hard to see, like, cash-flowing investments out there right now. Uh, Same here. I'm in Minnesota. Would it be okay to just go and buy, you know, kind of that entry level kind of single family long-term rental, even if it doesn't produce 100, 200, 300 bucks of cash flow a month, but just kind of let the other pieces and the benefits of real estate kind of work themselves out of the debt pay down, appreciation, inflation hedge. Would you say that that's even like acceptable, even if you can't get a cash flowing property? And um, I think and sorry it's... to jump in, but like, and, and to Jason's point earlier too, is that where maybe you are looking for, and this pains me to say, um, and I'll probably get skewered from from the <laughs> our investors that love cash flow. Maybe to Ryan's point, like, do you just kind of look for something break even, knowing that three, four, five years from now you'll be able to refinance at lower rates? Is that? I mean, I, I don't know how long rates stay up. I don't know if they even go lower. I presume at some point in the future we'll see rates back down to the, where they were. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe this. Is I don't. I don't think we're gonna. I wouldn't expect them to go as low as they were. I, I'll tell you that. I think that that boat has left the dock. So then maybe you're just looking for something that breaks even, and you're just waiting for the rent appreciation or the rent increases to catch up. Well, I, I do think we will see lower rates as as they put us into a recession. That's always the way it goes, right? And so, you know, maybe the rates will be back into the fours or something like that, right? Um, remember, the government doesn't like high rates either because they have debts to pay too, okay? And their debt service gets extremely expensive when rates are high. So they are incentivized to see lower rates because they have to pay debts also, okay? <laughs> and by the way, they are also incentivized to have more inflation, because inflation benefits them because the government is using my strategy, inflation-induced debt destruction. Think about this. If we owe a trillion dollars to China and there's 10% inflation, say it's in one year or two years or three years, doesn't matter, but 10% occurs, we basically got a $100 billion discount on that debt because we pay it back in cheaper dollars. Now, it's not like the Chinese don't know we're doing this. Of course they do. They have economists too, okay? But this is just the game of kicking the can down the road forever, right? And that's exactly what they're doing. And for all the, the Peter Schiffs out there of the world and the other doom and gloomers, they're just always wrong because they do the math. And like, you know, they have logical points. They make sense. Uh, you know, they have very good arguments. But the problem is, this is not just a game of math. It's a game of 
diplomacy. And, you know, they can just kick this can down the road for a lifetime. Who knows how long they can play the game of more deficits, more debt, more inflation. It doesn't have to end in five years or one year or 10 years or 100 years. You know, they just keep it going. And so you probably want to be on the same side as what the government and the central banks are trying to do to keep inflation going. And Bingo. You said it right there, (laughs) Ryan. Look, philosophically, I hate what they're doing. I think it's terrible. But from a practical standpoint, I'm going to align my interest with the two most powerful forces the world has ever known, governments and central banks. And their business plan has to be inflation because they benefit from it. I I found the chart that we were kind of talking about before, not exactly the one I was looking for, but here's the house size. 1970, the house average home size has increased by 157%. So I did a chart on this. The square footage went from 1,500 to 2,356, okay? Here's those median home price, interest rate, and then we expand this chart and we see the 1,870 payment today. We see this is the nominal mortgage payment per square foot. And the CPI-adjusted overall mortgage payment and the shadow stats payment, we discussed all these, but here's the new one. This is the shadow stats, in other words, real inflation-adjusted mortgage payment per square foot per month Mm. over time. It was $0.08 a foot. You know, because builders lag the market. I wonder if it gets even bigger like in 2022 or 2023 with everybody working remotely. Um, oh, the ho- so- the houses will get bigger. Yes, you're right. Yeah. The houses yeah. are getting bigger because people are officing out of the house. Yeah, right, right. right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But it's only three cents a foot today. Now, it's not the cheapest. It was two cents a foot for quite a while here, but it's, it's pretty cheap. Fascinating. Well, Jason, this has been an enlightening conversation. Um, yeah. Really appreciate having you on. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up? You know, look, I mean, historically, in any marketplace, whether it be stocks, bonds, mutual funds, precious metals, cryptocurrencies, market timing really just doesn't work. It doesn't have a good track record, okay? Uh, We can all try to outsmart the market, and sometimes we might be right, sometimes we might be wrong. But for my money, you just get in the game. And you have the multi-dimensional benefits of income property working for you. So even if you can't get those great deals where you had 250 bucks a month cash flow on a little rental property that's fully leveraged like you used to, I get it, I know, it's, it's not like that anymore, okay? You get in the game, and, and just, just, just think about this. Back in 2015 and 2016 and 17, we had a market that was on an upswing for about five, six years. And everybody was saying, you know, there's the correction is coming. We, I'm going to wait. Guess how they did? Mm. They didn't do very well. And then COVID hit. And they said, oh, my God, it's over now. You know, I'm definitely not going to invest. And they got, they just missed out. Okay? Look, at the point is that historically, every 10 years, there's a few years that the market just runs hot. And it's a capital appreciation market like crazy. If you're not in the game, you're going to miss it. And none of us know when that's going to be or how it's going to be or when it's going to happen. You know, Henry David Thoreau had this great quote, and it kind of aligns with what we're talking about. He said, only that day dawns to which we are awake. And it's kind of the same thing. If you're not in the market, 
the day will not dawn for you, you know? Uh, and so I, I don't know. I could be right. I could be wrong, but just be in the game. I mean, what else are you going to do? What's the alternative? Leave your money in the bank and lose 9% to 17% every year? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Good luck. Great point. Great point. <laughs> Lo- love the quote too. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you? Uh, well, uh, I take a much deeper dive into all this good stuff. I love talking about this stuff uh, on my podcast. Uh, it's called The Creating Wealth Show. Just type Jason Hartman on any podcast platform. And my YouTube channel as well. Uh, just type Jason Hartman. You'll find me there. We go in-depth like to the point of extremes on this on this stuff. So if you want a lot more info, just check me out there. And my main website, of course, is just jasonhartman.com. And I awesome. uh, appreciate uh, being on with you. Uh, good talking to you guys and keep up the good work and uh, happy investing to you and all your listeners. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.